Welcome to the Fervent Life Podcast. In our last series, we talked about things that keep us from living a fervent life. We discussed unhealed wounds, unresolved sin, um, lack of intimacy with God, isolation from the church, and the lies from the enemy. I encourage you to check those out before we dive into this next series. As we delve into the characteristics of a fervent life, we're going to be moving forward. We're going to be tackling these next five topics, assuming that all the areas that we talked about in the last series have already been addressed. We're going to move forward assuming that the foundation has been laid and we're ready to embark on a new adventure with God. Around February of last year, I made the decision to start taking my health seriously. A lot of things have changed over the course of a year. I'm eating things I never thought I would, healthy things, and I'm actually loving it. I've heard it said many times before that we eat what we crave and we crave what we eat. This is so incredibly true. I changed what I ate and eventually my cravings shifted. My taste buds changed. Refined sugars, processed foods, you know, the unnatural and rich breads, they don't hold as much power over me as they used to. I don't crave them anymore. Some of them I still enjoy occasionally when I'm hanging out with friends, but in my day-to-day life, I really don't think about them that much. Instead, I actually crave all kinds of healthy stuff. I crave tasty veggies cooked all kinds of creative ways. I enjoy organic whole grain breads, lentil pasta, fruits, nuts, dark chocolate covered almonds, those are my favorite. And despite what anyone says, dark chocolate is good for you. And you can Google that if you don't believe me. I've fallen in love with the taste of black coffee For real, no cream, no sugar, no nothing. This shocked me. And I chug water like my life depends on it. Because, you know, it does. The point is, my days of craving pizza, candy bars, cheap ramen, sugar-filled drinks, mac and cheese, and all manner of mainstream pasta are pretty much over. I've changed. My tastes have changed. The biggest miracle here isn't that I've lost my craving for the unhealthy things. For me, the most shocking thing is that I now actually look forward to and crave the things I used to hate. I used to hate the healthy whole grain breads. I used to hate the majority of vegetables or at least was extremely indifferent to them. I used to hate dark chocolate. I love the milk chocolate. I used to hate black coffee. My friend used to call it sacrilegious coffee because I would put like 17 creamers in it, 17 sugars. Um, now I actually look forward to the healthy things. Now I crave them instead of that other stuff. And that is a miracle. We think about craving food all the time, but have we ever really considered what it is to crave God? When we eat healthy food, our bodies heal and grow. And the same is true in the spiritual world. The more we partake of God and his word, the more we heal and grow spiritually. In John 6, 55-58, Jesus makes a really strange statement. He says, For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. Now, what's going on here? Is Jesus 
speaking some kind of like really gross cannibalistic mantra, the kind that nightmare cults are made of? No. He makes his point a little bit clearer in his conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well when he tells her that anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Jesus is stretching our brains to look beyond the temporal into the eternal. He's using our earthly cravings to illustrate a spiritual truth. We humans get so consumed by our temporal desires that we often feed off the high they give us instead of the satisfaction that comes from God. When Satan tempted Jesus to give in to temporal hunger in Matthew 4.4, Jesus replied, The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In addition to growing and healing, the scriptures suggest there is something even better to be found in the time we spend consuming God's presence and truth. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Psalm 16, 11 says, You show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Joy and pleasure. Now, those are two things I think many Christians never really consider gaining from God's presence. I hear tons of Christians talk about wisdom, guidance, correction, patience, etc. But I really rarely hear Christians talk about the sheer joy they obtain by being with God. And I've hardly ever heard them talk about the pleasure they experience in His presence. But wait, there's more. I want to take a look at Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8. It says, O God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. Because you are my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you, and your strong right hand holds me securely. Love. That is what I believe we see in Psalm 63. Do me a favor, read those words again, only slower this time, and ask yourself, have I ever really felt this way towards God? Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. Have you ever searched for him so hard that you were willing to give up anything in order to find him? My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. Have you ever longed for him? With a yearning so intense you could feel it throughout your entire body? I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. Have you seen him? Truly seen him? Have you encountered God in such a way that you can genuinely say his love is better than life itself? That you could lose everything, but as long as you had him, 
you would be completely satisfied. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. When you praise God, does it affect your soul? Is there joy? Is there emotion? Or is there only duty? Are you praising God because that's just what you're supposed to do? Or are you genuinely praising Him because you're thinking about how beautiful His love is and all the things He's done in your life? Does it move you? You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. When your heart longs for something, do you consider searching for the satisfaction of that longing in your relationship with God? Does that seem possible to you? Or is it hard to imagine God actually satisfying your tangible longings? I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. Do you ever find yourself just caught up reveling in the goodness of God as you drive to work, as you lay awake at night? Is there such a tender connection between your heart and His that you find yourself daydreaming about Him, like a person daydreams about someone they love? Because you are my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. When you're in a jam and you need help, does it really occur to you to ask God? Is it second nature to find refuge in Him? Do you go to Him first or to other things? Now, before you start condemning yourself, if deep down your answers to some of these questions is no, please know that we are all in a state of growth. Once we reach one level of intimacy with God, there is yet another one right in front of us, and we are human. Sometimes we forget, I forget, I get distracted. We all have moments where we need to allow God to draw us back to himself. Now that said, some people might look at this passage and think, well, that kind of relationship with God isn't for everyone. You know, it's only for those really emotional types. I don't relate to God that way because I'm just more logical. I just don't get as emotional about things like they do. And although the ways we express our emotions for God may be different, I really have to say I don't believe that being in love with God and His goodness is only for those really emotional types. Jesus Himself said that the greatest commandment ever given was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Now I ask you, how can one possibly love anything with all their heart and not be connected to it emotionally? How on earth can someone love a person with all of their soul without at some point feeling deep, intimate emotions towards them? And how can they truly love them with all their mind if they don't think about them? They don't daydream about them. We are human and we are frail. We are not perfect in our love towards God. And we never will be until we reach heaven. But this kind of love remains the kind of love God wants us to yearn for. It's the kind of love he wants us to allow him to grow in our hearts. This kind of love, it's the goal of every single Christian. 1 John 4.19 says, We love him because he first loved us. 
Paul exhorts us in Ephesians 3.18, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. God's love is deeper than we could ever imagine. And the more we come to know his love, the more we fall in love with him. This is the true purpose for which we were created. And as we revel in our intimate relationship with him, we end up sharing his love with others and accomplishing the Great Commission. But love comes first. Falling in love with him comes first. And as Paul says, this journey into an intimate love-fueled relationship with God is for all of God's people, not just those crazy emotional types, not just those who are comfortable being raw and honest, and not just those who aren't afraid to cry in a room full of people. No. Even those reserved types. Even those with logical thought patterns and restrained emotions, even them. Even they are supposed to fall in love with God fall into his great love for them and become in love with him. When you love someone, you start to crave them. You want to be around them all the time. You laugh at all their jokes. You take note of everything they say. What they say, what they do, is a source of beautiful fascination to you. You want to be around them every second you can. You crave their presence in your life. Have you ever tasted this kind of love with God? It's okay to be honest if you haven't. The truth is the only thing that can set you free. John 8, 32. Growth will never come unless we are completely honest with ourselves about where we're at. And there's no shame if you haven't experienced this kind of depth with God yet. It is a journey for each and every one of us, and we all have to start somewhere. Zechariah 4.10 says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Whether you're someone who's only just now recognized your need to repent and accept Christ as your Savior, or, or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you realize you've just allowed other things to take God's place in your heart, or maybe you've already tasted a loving, intimate relationship with God and you've just grown weary, God is rejoicing over you. It brings him great joy to see you take small steps of faith and start to grow wherever you're at. There is no shame in small beginnings. God rejoices to see the first step you take. I mentioned earlier that we eat what we crave and we crave what we eat. So how can we deepen our craving for God? What are some things we can do to fan the flames and increase our yearning for God. Number one, in my opinion, is personal devotion. I really hesitate to say devotional time because I think most of us have this mental box that we tend to put that term in every time we hear it. We think of our daily devotional books or our 20 minutes of quiet time reading the chapters of the Bible assigned to us on our reading plan. Maybe we think about acronyms we've memorized to help us structure our time with God, or maybe we think about prayer lists, etc., etc. And none of these things are bad on their own. In fact, I myself am currently following a reading plan, but if we're not careful, if I'm not careful, I skip right past the point. We can burrow into the predictable safety of our to-do lists. 
we can get caught up checking off boxes and setting timers to the point that we get so focused on the task we miss the presence of God completely. I myself have stumbled into this trap many times and when it happens I find myself my time spent with God it feels dry. I feel empty. I still feel good doing it but it's more like the sense of satisfaction you get from personal achievement you know like brushing your teeth or making your bed or completing a home workout I feel good but I don't feel hungry for God and I certainly don't feel captivated by the grandeur of his love so that's why I don't like to call it devotional time or um, or quiet time because our personal relationship with God should be as real and organic as our relationships with other people because God is real and he wants a real relationship with us so when I mention personal devotion to God I mean just the time we spend with him the moments or hours we choose to connect and interact with him throughout the day our conversations with him the kinds of conversations where we can hear his voice in return. After all, why would Jesus say such a thing as, my sheep listen to my voice, John 10, 27, if he never intended to speak to us? By personal devotion, I mean the kind of encounters that touch our hearts in such a way that we know we've experienced the presence of our Heavenly Father. Sometimes this takes time. As with any other relationship, we become more comfortable over time. We come to know the other person's personality and mannerisms. We start to recognize the sound of their voice, their laugh, their sigh. Gradually, our walls come down and we're able to reveal our true selves to them. The beautiful and the broken, the noble and the unkind, the crazy and the sane, the slap happy and the serious. God wants a relationship with our whole selves. He wants us to interact with us, with him, as a good father does his children. God delights over our personalities that he created. That includes our idiosyncrasies. The only way to experience this intimate kind of relationship with God is to just show up and spend time with him, whatever that looks like. The more we do, the more we experience this personal interaction with him, the more we crave his presence. Number two is saturating ourselves in God's truth. The primary source of God's truth is his infallible word, the Bible. Now, sometimes I feel like the Bible can feel like munching on dry lettuce. It can feel boring, unrelatable, and really, really confusing. But like the example I gave about the process of your body learning to crave healthy food, the more we read the Bible, the more we develop a taste for it. This requires first and foremost asking the Holy Spirit, who teaches us and leads us into all truth, John 14, 26 and John 16, 13, to engage our spirits and speak to our hearts in a way that makes sense. It also means staying in one place and reading it long enough to Allow our distracted brains to settle down to the point where we can hear his still small voice, 1 Kings 19.12. 
Sometimes it means doing a little research. Consider this the salad dressing for that dry lettuce. It could mean looking up the context of a verse or the layered depths of the original language. Check out multiple commentaries to get a better view on complex issues. Utilize the incredible research tools that are available with one click on the computer or one tap on our phones. God has provided so many resources in this day and age through the diligence of his people and the assistance of his Holy Spirit. Take advantage of it. It might just change the game when it comes to really relating to the Holy Scriptures. Another way to saturate ourselves with God's truth is through the gospel-rooted teaching and ministry of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Fervency for God is contagious. God has gifted us with the family of God, and we can learn from each other. Sometimes the passionate word of a brother or sister in Christ can jumpstart our hunger for God. Lately, I personally have been listening to sermons sometimes when I get up in the morning or when I drive to work. It makes an otherwise dull moment of my life suddenly spark with fervency. The perspectives and the passions he's given him, they just, they help me. They, they jumpstart my day, my hunger for him. Sometimes when I'm still stumbling to make coffee, I'll listen to the fervent truth being spoken in a sermon, and before long I feel this stirring in my spirit. A hunger is awakened, and all of a sudden I have a serious craving for the things of God. All of a sudden, I'm falling in love with Him all over again. The distractions and the lies that were swimming in my head, they fade. My vision clears. I feel focused. I feel refreshed. And I'm hungry. Number three, the last point, is fellowship with the community of believers. I can't tell you how many times I've watched as my husband weighed down by the stresses of life and exhausted from work, he leaves to go meet with some brothers in Christ to talk about God and his word. And when he gets home, he's got the biggest smile on his face. His weariness is gone, and it's been replaced by a passionate hunger for God. I experience the same thing after I meet with a group of Jesus-loving sisters and we dig into the things of God together. My spirit lifts, I'm reminded of truth. My heart feels lighter, the day feels brighter, and I am refreshed. A spiritual diet, much like a physical diet, it's not a one-time decision. We must continue to cultivate healthy habits. We must continue to fuel the fire. We must continue to partake of God and His presence in our lives. But when we do, when we find ourselves in that sweet spot, completely consumed by our hunger for Jesus, there's nothing else like it, and it fills every area of our being with pure joy. Thank you so much for joining us this week. I hope this podcast has encouraged you in some way. If you want to contact us, you can always do so at our website. It's www.theferventlife.org under the Connect tab. Thank you so much, and have a great week.